I uh, had said to Mark and Ashley that I was going to uh, provide an overview of chapter 2 uh, in the book of Acts. And uh, I, I ha in, my, in my mind, in my heart, I thought, you know, I would be able to do that very quickly and uh, then be able to move on to speaking about that relationship that we as born-again believers have with the Trinity uh, because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And uh, so maybe that's a message they'll let me speak in the not-too-distant future, but I'll probably emphasize mostly uh, the, the divisions that we find, or, or that, that, that I've found, exist in chapter 2. But uh, I also want to, to bring into it, before we, we call it a day, uh, just touch upon this, this amazing, incredible privilege. Uh, I, I can't find the right word to describe what it means that the third person of the Godhead actually lives in me. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, they're, 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 what you're looking at now is only, uh, you know, a passing uh, image of, of who I really am. Uh, the, the, I, I certainly don't look how, you know, I appeared in the mirror 21 when I was 21 years old. Uh, I, a lot has changed and a lot probably will still change. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is that ever since that moment, that day, that I invited Jesus to become my Lord and my Savior, he had made a promise. God, uh, Mark just referred to the fact that he's the God of promise. And Jesus had made a promise that when he went, he was going to send someone just like him. Uh, he called the, the, this person the comforter, the, the, the advocate, the one who would come alongside us. But it's more than just coming alongside us. He would actually dwell in us. Now, doesn't that blow your mind? That the, 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 uh, a part of the Godhead, a third part of the Godhead, if you like, dwells in you, in me. Because we have accepted and embraced Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And that opens, well, if you were speaking about something bad, you would say a whole can of worms, but not, not for us. Because it's, it's divine, because it's good, it opens unlimited potential. And what I've been walking through the last half year or just a little bit more, is this challenge that God laid on my heart to pursue him for a greater, deeper understanding and knowledge of his presence. It's called intimacy. And, and I've been working hard at that. And I, I, I'm not going to say this morning that, you know, uh, we just make that decision and boom, it, it all happens and, and we're, we're in that place where we are so aware of the indwelling presence that the externals seem to fade away into the background. No, uh, there's, there's Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, I think it is, talks about we having 
to practice, uh, exercise our spiritual senses so that we can be more aware of this relationship we have with Him. Where He becomes the all-consuming uh, power and, 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 and awareness in our lives to the, to the extent that what is happening around us becomes secondary. Takes, takes a backward step and we're, we're not overwhelmed by it. Uh, you know, it's, it's a transition that needs to take place where we step out of being so soulish, where we, we react with our emotions, we react with our minds, we react with our wills that are not totally yielded, uh, whereas we should be responding from our spirits. Because that is the prime part of our existence. That is the part that's going to go on after we breathe our last breath. So I had thought maybe I, I would just quickly skim over chapter 2 and then go into a greater, uh, you know, a deeper look at that, that aspect of our walk with the Lord. But I, I think it's not going to happen. Uh, so we will, we will do an overview, and as I say, maybe in the not-too-distant future, we can take a look at the second part of uh, what I had intended to share with you this morning. So we've, we've called this the transformed life. Acts chapter 2, the transformed life. And uh, what I've done is I've, I've found four main divisions. There are probably more, and you divide it differently. But uh, four main divisions dealing with that they, these disciples, these followers of Jesus were all together in that upper room and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to perhaps uh, provi provide something that you may not quite agree with me, but that's okay. You'll find out when we get to heaven I was right. So... <laughs> And I'm going to speak about uh, these, this matter that they call speaking in other tongues. And we'll move on from there to look at Peter's spirit-filled uh, message that he, that he brought. Uh, what a change in, in nature and character that man experienced. And then finally, to look at the radical response that came about uh, as a result of this this, this day of Pentecost and of what Peter had to say, being anointed by the Spirit of God. First of all, then, let's look at the fact of, uh, that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. My preference is to call it they were all baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, if you forgive me, I, I have a problem with just referring to it as being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, as a general description of what happened that day. And what I say in the next few sentences will explain that to you. In my mind, there is a difference between being filled with and being baptized with the Holy Spirit. The disciples received the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost. Now stay with me and I'll try and explain that to you. I think it's right to say that from the moment that we are born again, 
the Holy Spirit takes up his residence within us. He becomes that dynamic of the Godhead that is present with us, in us. When, from the day of creation, where he brooded like a mother hen over her chicks, he brooded over a chaotic situation, and then when, when, when God spoke, let there be, it was the dynamic of the Holy Spirit under the administration of Jesus that what we know as creation today came into being. So he is, he is so dynamic in what he does. And, and he, he comes and it's his, his work. He's the agent that brings about the transformation within the person who becomes a believer so that they are what, what Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5 calls a brand new creation. The kainos creation. Don't want to say too much about that now. Later, maybe. But it's, it, it, it means a species that never existed before. You don't just become something new like the old one is worn away and now you replace it with something new. It means that which did not exist before. It was unprecedented. You are a new creature. And that, that, that amazing transformation comes about as the Holy Spirit who resides in us day by day, moment by moment, works in us and, and brings about that convictions of various uh, degrees that we need to change this and we ought to become that. So it's, it's a process whereby we become what, again, what the Scripture says, we are being changed from glory to glory. That's this side of the grave. And one day, of course, there will be the final, that final transformation when we'll be with Him forever. Never again to have to deal with the mind or the emotions or the, or the body and put the body on the, on the altar of sacrifice, you know, offering our, our bodies as living sacrifice. The problem with the living sacrifice is it ke- tends to creep off the altar. And, and so that day will come when we will be changed into his likeness totally. But there is this, this, this process that takes place where you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, embrace Him as Savior, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence within our spirits. So when we read about the, the transition from the resurrection through to Jesus' ascension, we discover that He made many, many appearances to, to His followers, and one such occasion was shortly after his, his resurrection. They, they, they didn't know about that yet fully, hadn't, hadn't seen him, one or two had. But uh, they were in a room, the Bible says, and the, the, the windows and the doors were all locked because they were afraid of the Jews. And Jesus, who's now transformed into his, his being a spirit being, his spiritual body, his resurrected body, comes right through the walls and stands in their midst. I'd have loved to have seen their faces. 
And uh, he invites them to, to touch him and to see that it's really him. He, he, he invites them to observe the wounds that he received when he was crucified. And then Jesus says something to them that is amazing. In John chapter 20, verse 22. Now this is after the resurrection, but before the day of Pentecost. Okay? And Jesus, when he had spoken to them, John 20, 22 says, He breathed upon them. Breath is spirit. The day our spirits leave us, we will no longer be breathing. Breath is spirit. Ruach, breath. That, 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 that infusion that is, is, the, is the, um, the action of God alone to give life. To, to enable us to to go on living here in these physical tents, these physical bodies, until that time that we, 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 we leave this planet, we depart this earth, uh, or till Jesus comes. But the, that breath, he breathed upon it, and it was, his breath was the breath of life, of God. This is now the resurrected Jesus I'm talking about. And he breathed upon them, and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now remember what I said. When you turn to Christ and you embrace Him as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in them. And it is my conviction that this is where they were born again. Because now Jesus had been crucified, Jesus had, been, had, had resurrected, so those, that is the requirement for us to receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. Prior to that, Old Testament saints had the Spirit come upon them. But you and I, my friends, we have Him dwelling in us. And instead of it being something from heaven, at a, a, a divine touch at a given moment for a certain circumstance that Old Testament saints were anointed, he came upon them. You and I now have that gushing up from within us. It's called the well of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And it becomes not just streams, but rivers of living water that flows from us. And so he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, don't get put off by this little explanation. But that word receive in the Greek is a verb, and it, it is the, the aortist active imperative. Now, all that means is that it is a command. Jesus said, receive. And the Son of the living God was giving a command. And when Jesus said, receive, I believe with all of my heart, they received and so I point out that this is before the day of Pentecost. The indwelling Holy Spirit taking his place in the born-again believer. I haven't lost you, have I? You're still with me, okay? So, notice this is after his death after his resurrection, 
that indwelling presence becomes a reality. Being born again is only possible because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Prior to that, you would be an Old Testament saint who is, is reckoned to you as righteousness because of your faith, just the same as it was for Abraham. And then it is what we read about in Acts chapter 2. Fifty days later, boom, the day of Pentecost. This, this, this amazing experience where, where they're, they're seen to have flames of fire resting on, the, on their heads. And there's the sound of a mighty rushing wind, the Ruach again. The wind of God, the Spirit of God. And they are filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when you look at it, they, it says they, they began to speak with other tongues. They, they speak in languages they have never learned before. This is the way it's put in, in, in verses 8 to 11. These simple fishermen, these, these guys uh, who didn't have much to, to crow about in terms of their accomplishments and achievements or their social standing. They, they speak the language, it says, of Parthians, Medes and Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, which is the Roman province by that name, not Asia as we see it on the map, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Fishermen. They're speaking languages they've never learned before. This is what the indwelling Holy Spirit can accomplish in our lives. It opens up a potential for us that, that reaches beyond our natural abilities that reaches beyond what we can naturally produce even from, from a good education or a, or, or a privileged social standing. When we lean on the indwelling Holy Spirit, when we, we, we take off the limitations that that indwelling presence allows uh, or or, or um, is able to do in and through us, we'll see remarkable things. These fishermen who were considered what I, I would probably describe as being quite provincial, uh, they were less sophisticated, uh, you know, they, 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 they were just simple folk. Salt of the earth, but simple folk. And uh, in, in chapter 4 of Acts, it even refers to them as being unlearned and ordinary men. I'm so glad for the phrase that follows it. It says, but they noted they'd been with Jesus. And when, we, when we've embraced him, we've been with him. We are with him. He is in us and we are in him. And that, that indwelling Holy Spirit becomes the dynamic, the expression 
of, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all. Uh, they are in perfect unison and, and, and dwelling in us via the Holy Spirit. Theologians call it the perichoresis of, of the Godhead. They, they dance in perfect unison, perfect step. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and they, they, the, the circle dance that it's referred to uh, by, by theologians and so forth. But you and I become part of that dance. We're dancing with the Trinity as we cooperate with them, as we, as we link arms with them via the indwelling Holy Spirit. Oh, saints, that we would see with open eyes what privileges and potential we have because of what happened when He came to dwell inside and when we have a further experience in Him called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I guess to a certain extent I'm rather provincial myself. Um, yeah, I'm just an African boy. Haven't got much to shout about except that I am his and he is mine and he dwells in me and I'm, I'm a son of, you know who of? Of the living God. And boy, when I speak in tongues, provincial or not, I'm eloquence personified. When I look at the book of Acts, I find five, what I call the five Pentecosts of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is what happened immediately after Jesus had risen from the dead and had ascended to heaven. And, and, and it was, many referred to it as being the birth of the church. So we're looking at the prototype. We're looking at that which is so close to the designer. There's been no interference with it as has happened since that day. These are, are people who are walking in the freshness and the uniqueness of what that day brought forth when the church was birthed. And the first, I call them the Pentecost, forgive me, but you find a better word, go with that. But the, the, the first Pentecost is what we've just been speaking about in Acts chapter 2. And here it clearly says that they spoke in other tongues. And then the second incident is Acts chapter 8, where Philip has gone to Samaria, he's preaching down there, and, and there's signs and wonders, and the apostles hear about it, they go down there, and they, they pray with these Samaritan believers. And this is where we have the, 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 to receive the Holy Spirit, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Don't forget, if they were believers, they already had the Holy Spirit. But they pray for that further experience. And Simon the sorcerer sees something or hears something. And he wants it, so he thinks he can buy it with giving some cash to the apostles. And he's rebuked by Peter who says, your money perish with you. 
You think that you can buy this gift of God with, with money. And of course, he's repentant. He says, please pray that what you've said will not happen. But he must have seen something or heard something. And then the, the third Pentecost is Paul or Saul or Paul's own experience on the road to Damascus in chapter 9 where he, he encounters Jesus. Oh, that we might encounter him in a way that's greater than anything we've ever experienced. He encounters Jesus and he's knocked off his high horse and uh, he's, he's, he's blind, he can't see and he's in some Christian's house in Damascus and God appears to a fellow by the name of Ananias sends him to go and pray with Saul. Now, we, I'm just going to call him Paul. Uh, and, and he goes to Paul and he comes in. He, he, he Clearly, Paul has had this encounter with Jesus and now become a believer because Ananias addresses him as brother. He says, Brother Saul, God has sent me here. And he mentions two reasons. One, that you might receive your sight. Two, that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And although it doesn't say it there, elsewhere we read in Corinthians 14, Paul says, I thank my God, I speak in tongues more than all of you. So I'm happy that if God said, Two things to Ananias, that Paul did receive his sight, that he also was baptized in the Holy Spirit. God doesn't do half jobs. Paul later on admits, man, I'm a tongue talker. And then the, the, the fourth uh, 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 instance where, 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 this, where um, the Holy Spirit is given with the evidence of speaking in other tongues is Cornelius' household, the centurion. It plainly says, and they spoke in other tongues. And it amazed the Jews that even the Gentiles had received this gift. And then the final Pentecost is that in, in chapter 19, the Ephesian Pentecost, where uh, Paul prays for them and asks them, uh, he says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And he then prays for them for the Holy Spirit and it says clearly they spoke in other tongues. So we have three out of five instances, or 60% if you like, where it clearly says that in that prototype they spoke in other languages. And then the two instances where it strongly indicated that they did, which was with the, the Samaritans and with, with uh, Paul, uh, I would say that five out of five times in that historical book of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, every single time, people spoke in other languages when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Infilling at the rebirth, the baptism, a further deeper dynamic of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, please continue to love me, but it, it is my 
personal opinion that if you are a believer and that Jesus dwells in you by His Spirit, you can speak in other languages. And the silence was deafening. <laughs> so, so three out of five, 60% definitely did. Five out of five means 100%. Have that privilege of speaking in other languages. And so we move on to the other division that, I, that I've allocated there. Peter's spirit-filled preaching. Now, what a remarkable change took place in this man. Just, just, just a short while before that, not too long before that, when a servant girl challenges him and, and a, a few others challenge him on his, his, his relationship with Jesus, he denies Jesus. Three times he does it. He denies Jesus. Now here, having just received that, that uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, something's happened to this guy. He gets up and in front of thousands, he preaches the word and presents the gospel. And at one point he turns to the Jews and he says, you have crucified him. It goes from being that timid individual that runs from a servant girl of what she's saying about him to standing up in front of a few thousand people and declaring the word as it is. He goes from denial to, to boldness and courage. But isn't that what Jesus said? When he comes upon you, you shall receive what? Strength, boldness. Folks, if you haven't had, if you're a born again believer and you haven't had that experience yet of speaking in other tongues, I'd love you to have that experience. And I know others here would love you to have that experience. It's going to make a massive difference in your walk, your daily walk with the Lord. What Peter had to say here is not everything that he preached because it does tell us in verse 40 that with many other things he spoke to them about the Lord. And uh, he, he, he starts to, to unfold the scriptures to them to prove who Jesus is. And uh, he starts off in verse 17 where he quotes the prophet Joel as saying, that, that God speaking says, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. All flesh. Thank God. Not only Jewish, but also us Gentiles. On all flesh. We too became the beneficiaries because of that prophetic word. And many here can testify to the reality of that today. Before then, the Holy Spirit had been given in, in little drops, if I can put it like that. Where, as I've said, he came upon people at certain times, uh, under certain circumstances, and they would, they, they would be able to do things that was way beyond their natural abilities. But now, Peter says, he uses that word, 
poured forth. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And if you check the Greek in that, you'll find that that word pour means gushing forth. So no little drops, no coming upon, no anointing for this occasion, that person only. No, it's a, it's a deluge. It's, it's, it's given to all who belong to the, the kingdom of God, who belong to Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, it's your inheritance. And he speaks about this pouring forth on all flesh. And he makes it very, very clear that it is not confined to class or social standing. No, he says even maid servants and men servants. So your lowly estate, if you think, think of it as, as being that, even that's not going to prevent you from receiving this pouring forth of the Holy Spirit. It's not even confined to gender. It says on your sons and your daughters. It's not, it's not dependent upon your age. It says on your young men and your old men. This pouring forth is for the benefit of all who follow Jesus. Then in verses 22 to 24, Peter introduces the focus of his sermon. He starts speaking about the Messiah, about Jesus of Nazareth. And he makes this point. He said, he's a resurrected Christ. He's living today. Men of Israel, he starts, hear these words. And that's the gospel. We should be saying, probably not in exactly these words, but uh, our whole response to, to a world that has not met him yet, we should be saying, men of this world, Hear my words. I've got a good story to tell you. I've got a fantastic gospel to share with you. It's a happy gospel. It'll change your life once and for all. Pay attention. I've got something important to say. And he starts by quoting Psalm 16. And he explains here the resurrected Christ. That psalm goes out, you know, goes on to, to, to help us understand that the author of that psalm, who was David, uh, was dead and had remained buried. But he shows that that psalm speaks prophetically of the Messiah, Jesus. And it points out that the grave would not hold him to the point that he would decay. No, in other words, this Jesus, this, this Christ you crucified, is the Messiah, and he has been raised to life by God. What's more, I couldn't argue the point with Peter because he'd seen him. Peter, how can you say that? Well, I saw him. I, I walked along the beach and I had a conversation with him. And there were other times that he came and, and we also, not just me, but all of us, we saw him. 
resurrected Savior. He goes on to refer to Psalm 110. And here he explains the fact that this Messiah was also divine. He opens that psalm by quoting, uh, by, by, by using uh, phraseology that might sound a little bit strange when we just look at it at a cursory glance, but the more you look at it, the more you understand what he's talking about because he speaks in terms of the Lord said to my Lord. Hang on, uh, David, what do you mean? The Lord said to my Lord. Well, when you, when you look into it, you discover that the Lord is referring to, to Yahweh, the, the supreme God. And he was speaking to David's Lord, who was the Messiah, Jesus. God said to, said to Jesus, this day I have begotten you. So in other words, the Messiah, this Jesus that you crucified, but who has, been, who has risen, he is God. He's part of that Godhead. And Peter starts to give these, these, these uh, convincing arguments from, from the scriptures that the Jews understood. And then that final part of the chapter that I want to emphasize is that radical response that comes about. In verse 38, Peter invites them to embrace Jesus as their Lord. Repent, he says. That hasn't become the favorite word of today's language. But can I suggest, folks, that repentance is an essential part of the gospel. If anybody preaches a gospel that does not contain repentance, require repentance, it's a false gospel. It's not the true gospel. Repent. Repentance describes what happens when, when we come to God. And we admit that we need him in our lives. And he goes on from there and says that, that this, this gift of the Holy Spirit, once they've repented, is for them. And I'm so glad he added the next few words. And to all those who are afar off. I'm one of those. You are one of those. Forgiveness. The slate wiped clean. Sin removed as far from us so that you cannot relocate it, even if you went looking for it. The, the, the fact that you are you are. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's another sermon, the in Christ business. Oh, may God help us to realize who we are in Christ. So many believers I come across live below the standard of who they are in Christ. 
so programmed, so numbed by what this world throws at us, that our knees buckle at the circumstances that the enemy creates to, to destroy our faith. But in Christ, in Christ, I say by the Spirit of God, you can live way above where we live now. Let me get back to my sermon. There's an amazing result because of this preaching of Peter About 3,000 souls were added to them. An amazing harvest of souls. The church went from 120 people to 3,120 people in one day. Where does that bring us to? Sorry, I've been hassled with a nosebleed since I woke up this morning. The heart of the message of Acts chapter 2 is that we still have a way to go in realizing the full potential of what we have because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We catch glimpses of it. But it's not just a case of now and again experiencing the anointing. Thank God for the anointing. I believe with all of my heart we ought to live in a place where we are so aware of the indwelling presence that everything else around us becomes of secondary significance. We, 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 we're so robbed of our, our identity in Jesus <clears throat> because of the enemy's lies and what he tries to do to us that we can't, we, 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 we're forever fighting a battle. And I think God wants to live us from that place of victory. Where some of the things he says about us in Scripture becomes a reality. And not just something we quote. The followers of Jesus gathered in the upper room. And it's there in that upper room that they had this dynamic encounter with the third person of the Godhead. The upper room is that place we allocate, that time we give to focus in on Him and Him only. But our lives are so rushed, so pressured, 
all we can accommodate is a five-minute devotional a day. We're saved, yes, we're going to heaven, but man, it's tough. God, help us to get our priorities right. And when we get our priorities right and we focus in on Him and we, 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 we've, we've, we've found that place, we found that time, we found in the little devotionals that have been sent out, I've referred to it as Jesus breaks, where we stop what we're thinking, stop what we're doing, stop everything that is part of this outward living and we draw in and lean back into Him. so that we encounter the presence of the Holy Spirit representing the Father and Jesus. I have so many scriptures I'd like to share on that, but all I'm saying, we need to find the upper room. This world's going crazy. We need the upper room. I promise I'm going to close. I'm going to close with this. Psalm 40 verse 31. Uh, Isaiah 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will rise up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. That term, they that wait upon the Lord, is not a case of sitting there and... No. That word wait, in the primitive Hebrew, the, the, the original root meaning of it means to twist together as one would a rope. In other words entangling yourself with the Lord, entwining yourself with the Lord. And that doesn't just happen in a five-minute devotional. Five-minute devotionals are great. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. But I'm saying to the group, a group of believers this morning, and, and I, I, I'm saying it to myself, we need more than that if we want to live in that place where we reflect Him and we find ourselves being changed, transformed from glory to glory because of what we're looking at. The upper room is where we encounter Jesus and where he encounters us. The upper room becomes home. The upper room becomes due north for the compass in our spirits. 
it becomes more precious than anything else. What happened in Acts chapter 2 changed them once and forever. What happened with the Holy Spirit dwelling in you has opened a door of potential for you, for me. That if only we would pursue it, we will not recognize ourselves after a while. Folks, I, I feel like I need to say more, but I can't find the words. I, uh, I'm appealing to you, I guess. Let's find that upper room place in our lives. We are born again. We are going to heaven. Our sins are forgiven. But why are we being knocked about so much by externals? They're real. I know they're real. But when you, you, you're able to, to see, when you gain his perspective, because he is bigger in you than anything else, when we live from the spirit instead of from the soul, life will change. And we'll be living from a place of his victory over whatever the enemy is throwing at us. I'm still a rookie. I'm a rank rookie in that. But, but seven, eight months ago, God challenged me on this and I've been, I've been trying and I know things have changed for me. But I have this, this, this commission from him that this message needs to be shared with whoever I meet who is a follower of Christ. It's time to change. Because this day and age requires men and women, young people, who are so different that the world's going to look at us and grab hold of us and say, what is so different about you? I want what you have. The touch of God is what you and I are meant to be. The touch of God upon a needy world. Let's pray. You know, if you feel that, uh, I, I know we've run out of time, but if you feel that you're a candidate for a deeper life, a deeper walk, uh, I'm already standing. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray a prayer for all of us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you shed your blood on our behalf. And because of that shed blood, because of your suffering, you opened a door for us 
and invited us into a kingdom that is very different to the outward kingdom that we live in. Your kingdom is so different, Lord. And your heart for us is that we would experience the reality of being your representatives where we reflect you on a daily basis. Even in what we're going through at the moment, that we still reflect you because we are ambassadors of your kingdom. And so I pray for my friends who are standing with me. I pray for everyone, Lord. Will you help us, please? Help us. Bring awareness and understanding to our, our understanding. Because in our hearts, Lord, we, we're reaching for it. And, but bring understanding to us. Like, like your servant Paul said, that we may know the depths to which you've called us, the depths of your love, that we may know the power that you've in, in invested in us, that we may know the reality of what it means that we serve a risen Savior who is head over everything. And that Savior is in us by His Spirit. Will you help us please to move into an a realization, an experience that reflects these truths. Build your church, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 My apologies for keeping you this long, but it was, well, it's what it is. No, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, I just want to actually invite you back to finish off this next week, actually, Paul, and we'll push, we'll push next week out of the way because I think this was so good that we actually want to hear what it is like to live out of the upper room. Um, so we just want to invite Paul back for, for next week. But just can we just thank Paul for the, the work he puts into this? Thank you so much, Paul. Um, and let's have fellowship together and tea and coffee next door and go grab your kids.